Hello, everyone. I am Laurel McCarg, host of Alligator Preserves, and I have a very special guest with me today, all the way from, where are you from, Spirit Ricks? I'm in Elk Grove, California. Elk Grove, California. Yes. Welcome, Spirit A. Ricks, to Alligator Preserves. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. We're going to talk today about a book that I see you have by your beautiful fireplace going on there, A Woman's Guide to Virtue. A a Woman's Guide to a Virtuous Man and a Man's Guide to Virtue. That is correct. By the way, beautiful cover design, and I love your logo. Could you tell us where you had those designed? Um, There's a a young man I met, and he is just one of the most brilliant designers, writers. I mean, I'd share something with him, and he's able to take what I articulate and bring it into a place. And so when we were creating a logo from my initials, uh, this was what he returned with and just very grateful. Really, really <laughs> lovely. I, I, Thank you. Great, great job. Thank so you. would you please tell our audience who is Spirit Ricks? Well, Spirit Ricks is just like any other living great soul that has been born on this planet. Born not by choice, born to a mother and father who did not have blueprints of how to raise me. That's quite sure of the experiences we've all had. And, and on this journey, um, I have just discovered that all of the, the influence we've had as young, that I've had as a young man, and, and then having this spiritual awakening in my life to, to, to go inside and discover not necessarily what's my purpose, but who am I? <laughs> you know, just, yeah, yeah, who am I? Not what am I supposed to be doing, but if I could define or understand who I am or who we all are, then I think in understanding that whatever purpose we have will flow out of us because it's of a virtuous purpose we, we, when we understand who we are. And do so, you feel like writing this book helped you understand who you are? Well, no, I think that this book stemmed from understanding who I am. I, I believe that I had arrived at a very simplistic place in, in the infancy of my spirituality to understand this is who I am. I've walked in it. I've practiced the principles. I see that up is up and down is down. I can't, you know, <laughs> these principles are true. And in practicing those for it's been 40 some odd years now that I've been practicing these principles is that it was like, this is real. This is real. And not based on, it it was based on what I, how I perceived myself. But remember with Jesus, one day they came to him and they said, who are you? Because Jesus never said who he was. He said, who do man say I am? So by the words of individuals that I've had fellowship with, I walk into a room and speak to somebody and they say, oh, I love your energy. Oh, your energy is powerful. Well, I, I understand what it is. 
but that's who you say I am? Oh, blessings. <laughs> so, so I've grown at this in writing the book. It was just a call, was just a call to all of the great souls. And I want to say this is that we are from the time we come from our mother's womb, we're blessed to inhale 22,000 breaths every 24 hours. I feel like I need to hold my breath right now. <laughs> 22,000 every 24 hours. So the common denominator amongst all of us on this planet, this beautiful mother earth, is we all inhale the breath of life. We all have a beautiful heartbeat. We all have a beautiful mind. So understanding these common denominators amongst us, I have focused on our commonness. On our commonness. And in our common and in our common denominators in growing up, I don't care if you're from Russia, I don't care if you're from Ukraine, I don't care if you're from China, I don't care where you are from around this globe. If you were born out of a if you came out of a woman's womb, you have the same challenges that I have. Just in a different place. Spirit Ricks for president. <laughs> let's, throw the, let's just throw that out there. <laughs> we can do write-ins, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Spirit, you are the father of four children. Yes. Now, as a former army officer myself, I am curious about how you have taught them to be shepherds rather than sheep. That's something okay. that I read in your book. And, and and thank you for your service. And I'm also a Navy veteran. So we, 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 we've done our due. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is I didn't have my first child till I was 39 years of age. And my eldest is 26 years of age now. And her brother is 25 years. There's Sabra, Spirit Junior. There is Annika and Zion. So there's 26 years of age, 25. 20 and 20, 21 and 20. Mm -hmm. And what I have from the time they were born, the first thing that I wanted to do was emulate to my children how our father treats us. What, what kind of mercy and compassion and forgiveness and patience and understanding have I received from him that created me? So if I'm receiving those, my objective was to make sure I gave those same principles that I had received to my children. For example, none of my children have ever been spanked. There's never been a punishment. And this is the reason because I understand the moment that I do something that's against the moral fiber of my soul, I immediately feel the shame. Mm -hmm. I'm being punished right then because I walked away from who I am. So when my children would do something at their age, whatever age it would be, four, five, six, whatever, 10, 15, 20, whatever it is, is that they do that they would do, I would always want to look at them like the fathers looked at me. And he would always, in the midst of my great challenges, or if you want to say my sins, my my whatever, however we want to define them, things that made me shame, I would always hear the voice of our father say to me, son, I love you. You're strong and you're wise. What he always did was reminded me of who I was first before we dealt with what I did that had me shamed. 
So in dealing with my children, I would say to them, I don't care what it is they did. I come to them personally. I tell I love you. And I'm very proud of you. And I've always told them, when you could come to me and tell me the truth about an error you made in life, that takes courage. So because I know you've already are being punished because of your shame, secretively you did this, you know your shame. Now you're coming. I'm your relief. Mm. I'm not the one to initiate another punishment. I'm your safe place. Mm. And that's what our father is for us, that safe place. We suffer because of our own. So that was so in those principles and bringing them up. I've always used the words, look, don't follow, lead. You're a great thinker. Listen to your heart. Listen to your soul. That's God himself. Don't go out. If somebody is doing something improper, have the courage to say, man, I'm not going to participate in that. And why would you want to do that? That takes great courage. It, it takes courage. It takes courage. people. So as they have grown, and trust me, as you're, we're all kind of raised in a shepherd, I'm sorry, in a sheepish following kind of, you know, they put us in lines, they, they go this yeah. way, you know, we, we, yeah. but, but to be able to instill in everyone that you are the shepherd of your life. Mm-hmm. We don't need any great leaders. We don't need no moral compasses. It's all within us. And if we will put the mirror in front of ourselves, as I've told my children, and in their growth from coming sheep into shepherd, there are still some times that we have our ah moments. <laughs> but when that moment comes, I say, hold it. This is an isolated moment. This does not define you. It does not shadow you. We address it right here and it will never be spoke of again. Mm-hmm. It goes into the sea of forgetfulness. We don't want to be reminded of our errors. And so we want to be applauded for the things that we are doing properly. And that's what strengthens us. Well, so thank you for that. Yeah. I have instilled in my children so that as they're older now, I have no concerns about them. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fabulous. I know that my own children, we have we have two sons, two amazing sons. And How old are your sons? Um they're 30, 33 and 30. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And our oldest son is deployed right now. We we're hoping he gets home soon in the next couple of months or so. But I remember them telling me a while ago, you know, it's funny because sometimes they'll do something when they're young and you don't find out about it until until they're way older. (laughs) And I remember one of my sons telling me, I didn't want to tell you I did that right away because I would rather that you found out later and got angry with me then found out immediately and were ashamed of me. So I thought that was a really interesting thought process that he went through. He yes, would rather absolutely. deal with the anger than the, than the shame. Yes, so Yes. And if I may inject this, yeah. I'm going to say this to all parents, for those that have authority over young ones, a child will go to another home and talk to another parent or talk to someone else. Why? Because they know there is not going to be any punishment. Mm -hmm. The reason that our children will not talk to us is because, first of all, we're not listening. 
We always want to give instructions. But if we sat back and humbled ourselves and began to listen, we have two of these mm. and one of these. And these are in stereo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we sat back and listen, we would understand what a young mind is how they're interpreting society, how they're interpreting their existence at that point in time. But they come in and they do something wrong and we punish them. Therefore, why am I going to tell you I've done something I know yeah. I'm going to be punished? Right. So I would just want to say to all great souls, all parents, is breathe, relax. Look, we're okay. We did a lot of wrong. <laughs> God was merciful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're still here. Yeah, exactly. And look at us. So we're yeah. okay. And your children are going to be fine. Just be a safe place yeah. where they can come. And that's for anybody, any yeah. relationship. Great, great advice. So you mentioned in your book that you've witnessed many childbirths. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to know how those experiences changed you. Um the first childbirth that I witnessed, I was ministering in the church, and there was a woman there that was that was pregnant. And that evening, and I, I knew her but didn't know her that well. But the man that um, was the baby's father was nowhere around. I got a call saying she was at the hospital. I had never been in a childbirth. She was at the hospital. And she wanted me to come. And her cousin went to that childbirth, it was not an, it was not a natural childbirth where it was not a vaginal, a vagina, you know, birth. Mm -hmm. They literally had, and it wasn't a bikini. He stayed in the canal so long. They had to cut her from oh. the top. Yeah. All the way down. Yeah. yeah. And in seeing that experience, watching that woman, that it had an experience with a man and that man wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And to see her battle for her life, even when you give childbirth naturally, you a woman is, you can't get any closer to death. So in experiencing that in her suffering and then reflecting on this man, it was like, this is not right. You know, this is not right for a woman to lay with a man. And I know we don't have the experience to have children. We just want the pleasure out of it. But children do come and be be ready for the responsibility of it. And for him not to value his loins and for him to understand that woman and have anything to her, that really, it was, it was an eye-opening experience to see a woman labor and for the for the love of her child, for the love of her child. And when I see that labor, I see our father, how he labors for us through his patience, his kindness, his love, his teachings. So that did something children. to you. That really did something to, to you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You talk, you talk about humility yes. and as, as part of being virtuous. Yes. Can, we, can we learn humility? Hum humility? Humility 
yes, we can learn humility. To learn humility, it must be taught. That's how we learn. The challenge in life today is that we're not getting those examples in our home. As I said in the book, did you ever witness an elder in your home repenting? So if we're not taught in the environment that we're raised, if we never witnessed our mother, our father, our elders say they were sorry for raising their voice, or say they were sorry for that that the parents shouldn't have been acting like that. And 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 we've said we're sorry to one another and we can't act like this is not the way mother and father, husband and wife. If a child doesn't have that kind of example in them presented to them, they can't emulate it. They can't emulate it. And so humbleness is really, and the challenge with individuals. You've always had people have tell people you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And now people are walking with this sensitivity. I don't want to be wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong. How come I'm always the one wrong? You know, we get wrong. And and it's and it's and it's it's not about it was wrong. It was simply that there was no humility there. No humility because you had to fight for your rights. There was no humility there to accept that. Oh, okay. You know what? I, yeah, I really don't feel good when I respond like that, or I go there, or this is the habitual habit I have. I, I it's not right. You know what? I don't feel good about that. I, I need to make a change because I can't. Now, how? That's the journey. But when you humble yourself and say, "I want to change." That's the beginning of the journey. Right, right. You can't change a person. A person has to want to change. And again, I'm sure you've learned this with your children. I've learned this with my children. I've learned this with friends. You know, you can offer advice. You can offer all kinds of things. But if the person isn't ready, it's not going to happen. So we have to, again, then humble ourselves to realize that we're not the ones meant to fix anything. Hello, hello. Impatience, be patience. Humble ourselves and be patient, mm-hmm. and let them work out their own salvation. Mm-hmm. There's an old saying: if you try to counsel a stiff neck, somebody that's not open to counsel, you have an enemy. Yeah. But if you yeah. counsel to someone who's humble and wants it, you gain a friend. Mm-hmm. So, so. Sometimes, like my mama used to say, just put time on it, baby. Just put some time on it. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about your mom. Is, is oh, she still? God. Is she still with you? Is she um, still you're, around? You're looking at her. Oh. <laughs> her eternal life. And you're looking at my mother. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> this is how, you know, we talk about eternal life. But my mother truly will have eternal life because I'm going to talk about her. And the <laughs> women around this globe that talk about Mother Rick's. That that so as long as she's spoken about, she's got eternal life. So she's Rebecca Rick sitting right here. Which because you you have a lot of her sayings in the book, and yeah. did you did you capture those while she was alive? Did you how did how do you remember all of them? I, I remember, I remember because she told me the stories 
at an applicable moment when it was applicable. So it made sense. And I remember one of the first stories she ever told me, she was raised in Oak Muggy. My mother was born in 29. My mother was too. Yeah. She said she didn't know that bread didn't have green on it. Okay. Oh. So my grandfather used to sit her on the porch and my grandfather was an alcoholic. And he would tell her the wise things he would say, daughter. He said, you see that man just went around the corner in that brand new Cadillac? She said, yeah, daddy. He said he got all his suits in the trunk and three cans of soup in the glove compartment. Okay, see that kind of stuff. Don't get caught up in what you see. Okay, that's, mm, you know. I I was wondering if you thought it, it might be possible for us not to become our parents. And and the reason I ask you this is because you have had older men in your life mm-hmm. who have, I would say, led you astray, maybe in your early years. You talk about 40 years of walking this path, which mm-hmm. leads me to believe that you had about 25 yeah, hello. years of maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not leading a virtuous life. Oh, so without a doubt. <laughs> can can have you been able to find good in bad examples? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, there's two things we're going to learn in life by one person's example. If it's we're going to learn what to do because they're doing it right, or we're going to not do it because we see that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So we do learn from both parts of the spectrum. People, there are men that have had very abusive or fathers that weren't there. And they say, I'm not going to be that kind of father. So they learned a lesson from something that was adversarial. And we do. We we eat, as my mama used to say, eat the meat and throw the bone away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Rebecca Ricks. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the first 25 years? Do you want to talk about the $900 loafers? <laughs> <laughs> um. The the born father leaves, single parent, Rebecca, younger sister and brother come from two other men. So I have two, two younger sister and brothers. My mother not educating, not educated seventh grade, so not emphasizing education in my life. I just kind of went through. The, I, re, I remember second grade, she dropped me off at school and I would run away from school mm-hmm. and meet her on the front porch. I don't know what was going on, but that's the way I was responding at that time. As 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 gotten older, being bullied in school, uh, no focus whatsoever. I broke my leg in the sixth grade and they had me on in they had me in my bedroom on the phone with children that were in hospitals with cancer and and so forth. And the teacher would come around once a week and drop off work and so forth. And I think that's where I just became totally no focus of school whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So as, as we're going on, now I graduate from high school. All my mother wanted me to do is get a diploma. I get my diploma, but I go into the Navy. Going to the Navy, that's when I learned I could read, write, and regurgitate. Mm-hmm. I became a dental technician. You know, you have to study and so forth. So I was proud of myself, but I had some challenges in the military that I, that I won't go into. 
and I was released early. Well, but that was the blessing. Because when I was released early, my younger sister's father, John Jackson, said, I'm building an electronic company in Cupertino, San Jose. It's in 1979. He said, if you'll come, I'll give you $5 an hour. You live with my wife and I. And I've got a car here that you can drive. That experience led to my exposure to money and business principles. And, and, and as a result of that, I bought my mother a home. I moved her from cockroaches and raid and food stamps. And now we had ants in our home. We had the rich man's roaches. You know? <laughs> at 21 years, at 21, 22 years of age, that's, that's for uh, from a child to be able to buy his mother a beautiful home. And I was walking in tall cotton. So now I'm, I've got a little bit of money. I'm able to go down on Rodale Road and and buy $900 pair of lowers. I go in there and spend five, $6,000 like it was nothing. I, I kept $20,000, $25,000 with the gold on. I kept my $500 slacks on, and I didn't walk out the door unless I had $1,000 in my pocket and $100 bills. I didn't keep any change. But what I discovered I was doing, see, we're raised, we were born in a capitalistic society. They teach us to make money. And the seduction is your value is on what you possess. Yeah. The definition of a man is you got to have money, got to have a car. You got to do this. You got to do that. You, that's a man. Well, I was a man. Okay. I was still a scared little boy. Had all these depreciable assets. But people inside, oh, look at spirit. Look, oh, look, look. He's successful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm thankful for that journey and that exposure to those finances. To and I had prayed one time. I said, why, why was I exposed to that wealth? He said, because I wanted you to understand what money does and what it doesn't. You had a vision. You talk yes. about the book of your life. Yes. And so I'm, I'm guessing this is sometime after you realized that everything that you owned and wore, that was not you. It was, it was not. It was not. This is where I'm trying to find out who am I? What am I? So tell me about the vision. Yeah, what so in the vision, this was in the in the mid-80s. I was sitting on the porch and I just closed my eyes and I saw myself going to this library. And this book in this library was all these great books. I was drawn to the great wood, but there was still a library, you know. I've never even walked in the library. <laughs> 1.3 don't really have a need to go into one. But I go in and, and I see this giant conference table. In the center of the table, there's a book, giant light on it. As I get closer and I touch it, I immediately understand it's my book of life. I open it up. I go to my point of consciousness and I could feel. I, re I remember I set the couch on fire when I was four years old. I was under it playing with some matches and I could feel that experience. I did it. Yeah, I could read it and I could feel it. 
says I'm going on down the path, I'm getting to where I'm making um, adult decisions, but I see that they were very wicked and unrighteous. And I was extremely shame of it because I could feel the shame as I was reading it. And I tried to take my hand and wipe the words out. <sighs> and this four foot block diamond stopped my hand and my spirit spoke to me. My soul is said, it's wrote. What's wrote is wrote. It can't be erased, can't be changed. It's done. Okay, I keep flipping. I get to my present and I see the vision being wrote down as I'm in this. And then I down the conference table, it went on for an eternity. And so did my book, the pages. So I'm, I'm going to see what's destined in my future. What does the Lord have in store for me? I'm flipping and flipping and flipping. I flipped until I got tired. And the common denominator on every page is that it was blank. And that's when a pen entered in my mouth and said, you are the author of this book. Can't nobody take this pen and write nothing in your book. What that revelation did for me, it says, accept responsibility for your behavior, young man. Yeah, I got all these things in the past in my book that I could have blamed my behavior in the current on this. But our soul gives us the power if we acknowledge it through humbleness to make the transitions necessary to move us down the path of virtue. So that is the purpose of that vision for me and for all others is you're writing this book. You're writing it. And when you're sitting here in the present, thinking about all the concerns of the future, you're burning your present up. When you're sitting in your present, thinking about all your guilt and shame of the past, you're burning your present up. We are shepherds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Of our minds mm -hmm. to live in the present. You talk about you talk about forgiveness, being yeah, able oh, yes. to, to forgive. And yes. how I mean, I've I've experienced this in my own life. Um, it's and again, it's difficult to forgive when you feel you've been wronged in a huge and, way, right? And you have you and, and more than likely you have been wronged. Yes. It, it if if you don't forgive, what I learned eventually is that it it festers in you. It yes. it saps you of energy. Yes. It consumes good things. Yes. And once you can forgive, you know, you, you might not ever forget. But if you can forgive and release it, yes. it's so liberating. It's just now, like, okay, I, that, that person is no longer going to have power over me because yes. I'm going to let that go. Yes. Now, you said something very interesting, and I hear this said, I forgive, but I don't forget. But I remember a scripture where it says, I throw it in the sea of forgetfulness. Okay. Now, why do we say we forgive, but we don't forget? Because we haven't learned how to truly forgive with an understanding. There is a pure forgiveness. And the way that pure forgiveness is triggered in my book, I wrote about it. My neighbor lives down the street from me. He was the one that saw his father pistol whip the individual. Okay. 
And when he and I talked and he began to tell me the story about his father's upbringing, I said, man, your father went through that? That's how, brother, no wonder that's all he could do with you. Yeah. See, people do, like you said earlier, you know, we think somebody, yeah, somebody has wronged us. We may not understand the origin of their behavior because you're not the first person they wronged. Don't take it personal. Okay, that's their behavior. That's what they've been practicing. The origin of it, I don't know. And, and possibly because whatever, you know, they could have been abused. They could have been that. We don't know what happens with people. But when a person comes before you and they tell you they don't understand what two plus two is. Then you must have compassion. If a seven-year-old child is in front of you and he's saying two plus two is nine and he's guessing all over the place, you say, stop, stop. You told me the first time you didn't know and I'm sad. It's told me volumes about you, young man, that somebody hasn't been in your life where at seven years old, you don't know what two plus two is. Now, I don't know why he don't know. I just know he don't know. That generates, that understanding generates compassion. Compassion is the root that pure forgiveness comes out of. An understanding of that person's plight. And when you understand it, oh, I didn't know they went through that. Oh, my God, I didn't understand. Yeah, I know you didn't know, but their behavior showed you they were having challenges. So you should have compassion. Mm-hmm. Without understanding necessarily what they've gone through, because you see the fruit of it being demonstrated in their life. So I still have a ways to go then. I've been able to forgive and maybe not forget. So part of what the reason you wrote your book is because you say you wanted to leave people better off than when you found them. Yes, ma'am. Right. So I feel, I feel like you have already helped me because I, you know, I still have, I still have a ways to go, but um, as we all do, but we're practicing on it. Ain't no shame. And I got a ways to go. We on the road. That's (laughs) the important thing. (laughs) I, I love that. Spirit Bricks, I could talk to you all day. Um, your book, A Woman's Guide to a Virtuous Man and A Man's Guide to Virtue, you've got a lot going on in there. You've got personal stories. You've got, you're, you talk directly to your sisters and your brothers and men, and you talk to a lot of people in it. And in the end of your book, you have a song. Tell me about the song. Um, this was a song called Changed Up. And a young man by the name of Joshua Fisher wrote the song. And he actually performed the song. And his wife is in the song. She's the she's the vocalist. So this is a husband and wife that is that is performing the song. And what I love about it is he's 30 years of age, two children have been together with this woman for, for since they were 17. And you know the challenges you have in youth, having children and mm-hmm. trying to. And this young man, I've just seen, I'm just so proud of him. So to have this, this track created and to have him and his wife on it, to be able to minister, my grandson on it at the end, Solomon is on it. He says, Papa, I'm thankful I'm a shepherd and not a sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So no. and that that song complimentary comes with the audiobook, which I narrated. So that was just a gift. So when you acquire the the audiobook, um the it, it opens up with the soundtrack. All right. And I believe on your website too, we can listen to it. Oh, that is correct. That you know that is correct. When you open up the website, the song does app. Thank you so very much. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> and so spirit, do you have any other advice to our listeners i mean again your your book is full of wonderful yes. yes stories that i think just about everyone can learn something from um what would you like to leave our listeners with what what i what i want to leave us great souls with is that we're living in a time where there's a there's a passage that says above all things don't deceive thyself in other words don't lie to yourself don't don't walk in something for so long where you begin to believe your own hype now, things are transpiring amongst this world in interaction with people, the division and the and the lack of unity that we have. I just want to encourage everybody to stand up and be a shepherd. Stand up, men. Stand up, women. Boys and girls, stand up and be a shepherd. Don't follow voices. Make your own decisions based on what your heart and soul is ministering to you. We are the people and we have the greater voice. And I'm screaming virtue from the top of my lungs because I know the soul within all of you hear me crying. Blessings to you. Thank you, Spirit. Everybody out there, we've been visiting with Spirit Ricks, author of A Woman's Guide to a Virtuous Man and A Man's Guide to Virtue. You can get his book on Amazon. On Amazon, it is available. That is correct. Many formats. And You can go to Spirit's website. Yeah, spiritricks.com. Yeah, I've, I've been there. I've been there. And you can learn more about him. And yeah. um, you will send me some photos, and I will have links with photos and yes. a link to this on my website at leadvillelaurel.com. And again, thank you so much. This has started a beautiful day for me, and uh, we've all got work to do. So, we, we have, yeah, it, on ourselves. Nobody on ourselves. On ourselves. Ourselves. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's get to work, everyone. Thanks for visiting. Bless these great souls. And to you too. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at Amazon.com.